Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 214 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's mom. Today, I have the privilege to speak with Rebecca, Ethan's mom. Now, Rebecca wrote to me a long time ago, and you get to hear the story of why it's taken a while to get Rebecca on the show. But the thing that really hit me about this episode and this interview was the idea of timing and how timing has to be just perfect. And when the timing is perfect, it can make even a horrible, horrible situation just a little bit better. Before getting into the interview, I do want to take a minute to thank PM, who just donated by Give Butter to the Always Andy's Mom podcast and donated in honor of Stan. So thank you so much to PM. Now I just want you to sit back and enjoy listening to Rebecca. Ethan's mom. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for agreeing to come on the Always Andy's Mom podcast today. Yeah, thank you for having me. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. We just started chatting a bit before we started recording because we're trying to figure out when it was that you wrote to me because you wrote to me a long time ago. Yes, yeah. It's been like I've been listening since my son has passed and I always wanted to reach out to you, but I kind of didn't feel like it was the right time or it was too raw to Mm -hmm. reach out to you. So I kind of just waited, waited. And then when I found out I was pregnant with our rainbow son, then I felt like it was finally time to reach out to you. I also got up the courage to be able to reach out to you as well. So, Mm -hmm. yep. And then you reached out to me and then you said, but I need to wait until this baby is born before I can do it. So We, I put you on my calendar to reach out to you in July. And so I reached out to you in July. And then and now we here are in September recording this so to be released in October. So it's it's a long time from when you originally talked, but I'm so glad we're doing it. Yeah, almost a full year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So why don't you start out just by telling us all about your son, Ethan? Yeah, so Ethan, unfortunately, didn't live very long. He only lived six weeks on Earth, so we don't have much stories and things to tell about him. Although you think about it, you've got all those months of pregnancy even that you had. and Yeah, that, that is so, that's part of our story more is like the pregnancy, the lead yeah. up to his birth, and then his six weeks of life on Earth. So yeah, so we got pregnant back in August of 2020. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that ended in a miscarriage at 13 weeks. Oh, wow. And while that was devastating, we kind of like got on and moved on from that. We got pregnant right away in December of that year. And that was with Ethan. And we were all excited. Everything was going great, we thought. Because was this first baby then for you? This 
I mean, first pregnant. This is our, that, that, that miscarriage was our third baby. So we have two healthy girls. Yeah, two healthy girls. Our oldest What's is. your third baby? Okay. Yeah. Seven and then four. Okay. And then that, the, that miscarriage was our third. And then this would have been our fourth child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We didn't do any genetic testing or anything like that with him. So kind of just went along with the pregnancy. We were happy to see at the thir- or the 12 week scan that there was a baby in there. There was a heartbeat. I was like, okay, everything's good. Right. 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 We continued on. And then it wasn't till the anatomy scan that we found out that there was things wrong with him. And at first, like I kept calling the doctor's office cause they didn't, they didn't call me back with what, like with the results. And then finally they said, it's a boy. And we were like, Oh, like after two girls, we were so excited. We're having a son. Yeah, uh, we had a big gender reveal here. That was during COVID, so we had a gender reveal, and of course, sent it to our families via, yeah, or whatever. But uh, I remember feeling so happy, so excited, and uh, it was over the weekend, so we went away, me and my husband, and we were like talking about baby names, and we're like, "Have we ever gonna have a boy?" Like the perfect family, right? Yeah. Um, and then on the Monday, my doctor called me right away at eight in the morning. It was like, "Can you please come in?" And I knew, like, my heart just dropped, and I'm like, oh, "Something's wrong," right? Yeah. So we go in and then um, he has me come sit in a really private office and uh, I'm just like my heart's pounding and he's like, uh, we unfortunately found some abnormalities on the, the ultrasound and we have to send you to a higher MFM doctor to follow up. We live in a small town. So in British Columbia, right? Yeah, we live in British Columbia and we live like about an hour and a half away from Vancouver. So like all the specialists are out there that way. So sure. like we couldn't, we had to be seen out in Vancouver. So we always had to drive the hour and a half to be seen. Yeah. So he told us about the abnormalities. Of course, my heart broke and I called my husband crying and it was just, it was awful. And then we had, I think they scheduled us right away into Vancouver, BC Children's Hospital to, mm-hmm. to have another follow-up ultrasound. We, got that ultrasound yep sure enough they found a whole bunch of things wrong with him he had at this time they just saw that he had something wrong with his brain they couldn't visualize his entire brain mm-hmm. uh, he had club feet his his kidneys were enlarged i think that was all for in the beginning but so sure enough when we went out to bc children's they pulled us aside to a geneticist yeah. who went over what it could be it could be either a genetic problem it could be I think they said like toxoplasmosis, like with cat litter. Oh, toxoplasmosis. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That option. Or the third was just random. Yeah. It could just be that nothing's wrong. There's just random things wrong with him. They give us the option, of course, to terminate. They kept pushing that terminate, terminate. But because we're Christian, we just, we didn't believe in termination. Yeah. So that was never an option for us. That's funny. You're the second mom I've had on really recently that was really pressured hard to terminate. That makes me sad. Yeah, they like I I wouldn't say they pressured us hard, but they kept giving us that option. They kept being like, "That's out there. Like, if you want to do it." Then they gave us the chance to do the amniocentesis. Uh But it's funny now; hindsight is everything. We chose not to do it because, in my mind, I was just like, "Everything's gonna be okay. You know, God's gonna protect us. You know, everything's gonna be fine." Like, I made like a prayer group, and like I just was like very naive to how serious. It was going to be. So we chose not to do any testing, none of that. I did do like the NIPT test and that came back low risk for trisomy 18, trisomy 21, like the common ones that Mm -hmm. children have. So we were all excited because we thought, oh, it's not, it's not one of those. So maybe it is just a random one off and he can be like 
fixed with his feed and stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we just continued the pregnancy. I had I had a MRI done, so I had to go in. That was traumatizing <laughs> to go and it was a kid MRI machine at the BC Children's Center. They like crammed in there. <laughs> And then that's when they found that he had, oh, what is the term again? Uh, I learned so much medical oh, terms sure. through this. And now it's kind of all like, it's oh, okay. like now that's time. To... Not, it's not listencephaly. He had too much folding in his brain, okay. polymicrogyria. Okay, yeah. I think it's. Mm -hmm. And he also had um, his corpus callosum was missing. Yeah. So it wasn't. There. Yeah, that's the connection between the left and right sides of the brain. And it's so weird because you can have that and have it be pretty devastating and then you can have some people that have that and it's really not a big deal so it's really yes and that's what they said they kept saying so I'm like well what is what is going to happen and like we can't tell you what's going to happen until he's here right you just don't know yeah so then I got transferred to an MFM in Surrey and she we actually became very very close with her she followed us she we'd see her weekly and she like she she was very thorough and like very much prepared us that he would likely be in a wheelchair his whole life like yeah like she walked us through everything and she was there by our side through it all but i was still choosing to be a little naive i'm like no he's gonna define the odds and yeah. you know like he's gonna prove everybody wrong and he's gonna be a miracle and all that and so yeah then we journeyed to the end of my pregnancy I think I was 34 35 weeks and I noticed uh, decreased movements yeah. so we right away scheduled to go meet with our doctor out there in Vancouver and she found that there was no more fluid in my mm -hmm. my womb or whatever it's called yeah yeah low amniotic fluid uh-huh well they right away transferred me to the hospital right. to deliver so they tried to I tried to deliver naturally, but unfortunately, his heart kept deselling when yeah. I would have a contraction. So they had to do a C-section. And then when he was born, he wasn't breathing on his own, which was a surprise because they never said anything about his lungs. Yeah. We kind of just suspected he would be able to breathe on his own, but yeah. he didn't. So they had to put a uh, ventilator in right away for him. Mm -hmm. So we never heard him cry or make a noise from that moment on. And then that begins the journey of his life yeah. on Earth from that moment on. So... Then he was transferred to a high-end ward NICU at BC Children's, where they right away did genetic testing on him from the day he was born. Mm -hmm. um, he had multiple problems. He was sicker than we thought he was going to be, which uh, was hard for me, yeah. like to accept that he wasn't going to. He didn't come out breathing. He didn't come out crying. So he did those genetic tests, and those took about three weeks to come in. So during that time, I just moved out there to Vancouver to be with him. Mm -hmm. So I left my two daughters at home and like it was so tough because our oldest was starting kindergarten that year and yeah. like I wasn't here with them and like big steps for that. So my mom moved in here and uh, my husband was working. So he would drive back and forth every day to be at work and then at, with me at the hospital so it was an hour and a half of dri or three hours of driving every single day for him wow I just kind of like took on that role of like medical mom like this is my life now I'm gonna yeah this is like I have to spend my time with him and he's so like fragile he didn't have a spleen either so like we had to be very cautious like of sicknesses things like that and then at the third week mark then the genetic test came back that he had two extremely rare genetic conditions, trisomy five wow. and a deletion on his chromosome one P 36 or something like that. Wow. It's extremely, extremely rare. Yeah. Gosh. So 
Yeah, for sure. They have never heard of it. Right. They have only heard of one other case. And thankfully, well, not thankfully, but crazy enough, that mom lived locally too. So I reached out to her uh, with her son. And so the that mom had her son and he was uh, very disabled as well. Mm-hmm. The one that had trisomy five. So I kind of knew what to expect while looking at her. Her son was a lot older. He's like 10. So that kind of prepared me that, okay, this is serious, yeah. right? Like it's not, it's genetic. So they told me like, with the two combinations, it was like no one else in the world had that same type of. I wouldn't think so. There's, it would be just so incredibly rare that that could happen. Yeah. So they prepared. Yeah, it's so so rare. So they t- they tested us and we came back totally normal. Our chromosomes or our genetic. So they just said it was a one off. Like it was just. Yeah. Unfortunate. And that when I found that out that it was genetic, that was like the worst day ever. Like I just I remember going back to Ron McDonald House where we were staying and just like I broke down because it really hit me, I think, that day that how serious this was and that this wasn't going like we weren't gonna maybe be able to go home with him after all. Or if we did, it would be a really long road. Like we would be in the hospital for months. He would need a trachea because he couldn't breathe on his own. Just like it just really hit me that day. I just I can still remember all those emotions and yeah, how I felt. Like it was just unbelievable. But we still chose to do full interventions. Like from that from the moment he was born, still to that point, we were choosing full interventions. You know, we're gonna right. try this, right? So keep him alive at all costs possible. And in some ways, because you had that other mom locally that you had talked to, whose son was now 10, yeah. that made you think, okay, it's it's tough and it's not he's not going to be like a regular kid, but, you know, this child lived till 10. So, of course, there's the big difference that you have yeah. the problem on the second chromosome as well. But that had to start to be your yeah. baseline thought, right, is of that family, yes. right? Well, and as a mom, you don't want to let them go. Like I did everything I possibly could in my mind to think he's going to keep going. He's, he has to live. He has to live. Like I, I didn't cross my mind that yeah. he could die. Like I don't, it wasn't, I don't know. It just, yeah. I, I couldn't let myself get there. But like the the doctors and the care at that hospital were incredible and I remember it was it was my daughter's first week of kindergarten. And they said to me, "Go home, like go home for the week and just spend time with your your other daughters and get a fresh, get out of here and just have a fresh yeah. start, like or just Perspective, fresh, kind of. yeah, mm-hmm. peace of mind." Like, so I did. I went home and I prayed and I prayed. Oh, I've never prayed so much in my life. Like God, show me answers of what what is Ethan's path in life. What is what is supposed to happen in this situation? Like I just I. And uh, when we went back, he hadn't improved at all. He was still in the same position. Like, he couldn't breathe on his own. His, In fact, his breathing was getting much worse. And I remember sitting beside his bedside and just, like, begging God to give me an answer. And he kept that moment, he was having so much D-cells in his heart and his breathing that they had to keep running in to, like, not, like, he just, he was struggling so much in that one moment that I was praying to God that I was like, I felt that was finally my sign from him to like, let him go, you know, like stop fighting for him. And I remember then me, my husband came and we went outside, we prayed some more and we felt this like indescribable peace wash over us when we decided that it was time to choose hospice Mm -hmm. care instead of um, all interventions. And 
we were both just bawling and we felt like that was definitely the Lord telling us that it was time to like, it was time to let go. And I'll, yeah, I'll never forget that moment as parents that like, we didn't let ourselves get there. And I, I just, I couldn't, but God was calling on my heart the whole time to yeah. just seek him and like, listen to him. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't in my control. It wasn't in the doctor's control. It was God that was in control. And I had to let that power of a mother go. Like I had, I had to let that go. I couldn't keep this going. Right. So we have this wonderful children's hospice in Vancouver called Canuck place um, that was involved with us through the whole, through the whole time they were there for us. So when we decided this huge team of doctors came and we had to sit, it was so intimidating. Yeah. And we had to tell them our choice was to switch from quality quantity of life to quality of life. It's such a hard thing as a parent to to choose. Yeah, so so incredibly hard. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I remember just being so like, yeah, it was overwhelming. They laid a they laid his life out like if we chose quantity of life, what it would have been like instead of quality. They laid it all out for us, and we really trusted yeah. the doctors. Like they know what they're doing. Like so for us, we yeah we just we listened to what they had to say very seriously at that point because I kind of was like haha in the beginning I, I didn't listen and at this time I'm like no they really know what they're talking about so um they all said too they think that was like the best decision for him because they didn't think he would have lived long anyways his life would have been a hospital so we were then transferred by ambulance it all happened so fast after that like the when we chose the quality of life and within the next day it happened so quickly they transferred us the next day after it chose like it was just like boom boom we got there on a friday and he only lived 12 hours off the ventilator so was this at a hospice unit then or where was this mm-hmm. yes they they gave us the option to pat for let him pass at bc children's hospital but we said no thank you we would like to be in the hospice because they couldn't give us a timeline on how long he would last after the ventilator came off because they've said that sometimes it comes off in kids last weeks or sometimes it comes off in kids last minutes. So um, they couldn't tell us that. I just said, I don't want him to die in a hospital. Like I, I didn't want that. So we were transferred to this, this. It's a beautiful old house that they renovated into a beautiful hospice. So we were transferred there and it was so, it was beautiful. It was, a, I remember it was like pouring rain day. We got to sit outside, hear the rain on the roof and stuff. And then, so they took off the ventilator and I remember they had a professional photographer there who was taking photos for us and um, the nurses that took off the ventilator were all crying and holding us it was very beautiful um even though it was it was incredibly tough Uh, my parents were there it was just like yeah it was i felt like i remember looking at his this is gonna make me emotional i remember looking at his face (laughs) and he was finally like pain free for the first time in six weeks like uh, he suffered so much and like I just remember looking at him and he looked yeah. so relieved to have the ventilator off like so I just remember feeling like so overcome with so many different emotions because I felt guilty that we made him suffer for so long you know because I wanted him here to see the, his, the look on his face when that ventilator yeah it was just yeah. life-changing so after it came off, his breathing rapidly deteriorated, and then the, the hospice nurses thought it would only be minutes, but he actually held on for about 12 hours, so that was really special. So 
Yeah, I bet that was. We got lots of um, quality time with him because when he was in the NICU, of course, he was hooked up to wow. all these monitors. Like when they brought him to me to put for skin to skin, it took like five nurses to put him on me. And like, it was awkward. And, you know, like, I don't know. It was just, I couldn't bond with him properly. Like, because it was just, it was just so medical. Um, but at, there he was free. Like he was my baby finally, you know, so... I was able to pick him up and just walk around with him. Like the things you as mothers just do on a daily basis, yeah. like this, right? Like um, things you really take for granted. And I remember like I was hungry. So I, I picked him up and I just went downstairs and got a little snack. And I remember thinking, I'm eating a snack with you. How special is this? Like, yeah. it's just, you really take those things for granted as with healthy children. Um and I'm so internally grateful to that children's hospice that they let us have that because it's these wonderful memories that we got with our son that we wouldn't have gotten if we didn't choose to go that route. So yeah. I am internally grateful to them that we were able to make memories like that because when I look back on his life, yeah, a big chunk of it, most of it was in the hospital. Now I have also these fond memories of being able to hold him and like lay with him on the bed on my chest and walk around with him and all these things. So yeah, I'm eternally grateful to that hospice. Well, and to get a little family time too, with grandparents being able to be there. Yes. I know our daughters, of course, this happened all during COVID. So that doesn't help the situation. So when he was born, they like, no one was allowed in the NICU, of course, because they were, everything was so strict. And I totally understand. Um, So my daughters didn't get to meet him until Two days before he was transferred, then they, uh, the NICU opened up for us. They, they allowed like my mom to come in and the girls to come in and spend time with him, which was so special. They did like that was, yeah, that in itself was so tough because it felt like yeah. two different worlds. Like I lived there. That was my world with him. And then my daughters were here and I, it was so confusing. And like, I felt like a piece of my heart was in Chilliwack here. And then my other piece was there and like, they couldn't meet each other. And it was, yeah, it was just very confusing time. Like, yeah, yeah, it just COVID made everything so much more difficult. Like, like most of my family couldn't meet him. Most of my husband's family couldn't meet him. I think none of my husband's family actually met him. So it was just really unfortunate, like that they didn't get to spend time with him and see him. It makes it harder too, because I feel like because they didn't get to meet him, his life wasn't very real for them. Like, yes it's easier for them just to kind of be like, Oh, whatever, like, and move on with their lives where it was very real for, for me and for Derek and uh, my, my parents who also met him like that, that I feel like that was a small bubble of people who it really affected, but everyone else, it was kind of like, Oh, whatever, you know, like he was sick. Let's move on with our lives. Right. Like, so I have heard that from other people too. When, if you didn't get to meet yeah. the child because of COVID, it just, it just yeah that's another layer of devastating because it like when we had his funeral we had you know his my my in-laws going up and stuff but they couldn't they couldn't talk about him because they didn't know him right like it it just and everyone there no one got to meet him and I just I feel so sad like I, I feel sad for Ethan that he never got to meet my friends and my family and I feel sad for them that they also didn't get to know him right so it made things extra hard for the grieving process as well so yeah yeah (laughs) absolutely absolutely yeah but I remember going back to the day that he passed it's been 
almost two years. September 18th will be two years. So it's coming up pretty quick here. I remember it poured rain that whole day that he got transferred and that he was the Friday. And then the Saturday, um, we we got our own private suite and room. And um, the nurses said to us, you guys go get some sleep. We'll take care of him overnight. So we went. And then they came and knocked on the door. And they're like, it's time. Like, he's he's going to pass. So they gave it him to us. And it was Saturday morning. And I remember we looked out. The sun was just rising. And it was the most beautiful sunny day after this horrible storm. And it, he passed as the sun was setting or sun was rising. And I remember, like, it was so... yeah almost beautiful like that moment like it was like the sun come out after a horrible storm like you know and we held him for a long time after he had passed and it was just me and my husband with with him as he as he took his last breaths and like it was such a like yeah I know like for like for your story and other people they don't get that chance to say goodbye like and it like breaks my heart like because it was really special to be able to hold him and say goodbye like yeah it doesn't make it easy but it was really like I'm so grateful that we were there with him holding him as he took his last breath so yeah you think about it in some ways as as a bit of a privilege when you can be with it that way right yeah I, I want to listen to your story and to so many other stories that I've heard on your podcast it's funny because I think to myself wow I, I feel like I had a better like and it's not better it's not it's but different yeah I think I'm grateful like uh, yeah that we had that time like it's just it's so unfair for for moms that it's like that they were taken away so quickly and tragically like you know it's funny when you share that story it reminds me much more of losing my mom because my mom died in a hospice unit and it was a beautiful renovated home and it, it just reminded me very much of that experience. You know, we moved her in on Christmas Day and she died three days later. And Oh, wow. It was, it, it just reminds me of that. They just, the hospice nurses can just make a really hard thing just a little bit easier, right? And I was, you know. They're incredible. I don't know how. A college-age girl losing her mom. So it was kind of, you know, it was the opposite kind of thing, but yet very similar too, right? No, absolutely. And like, I'm so, when, as a parent, you hear the word hospice, children's hospice, and you're like, <gasps> like, you don't want to hear yeah. those words, right? But now looking back, I'm just like, so eternally grateful that they exist. Because if it wasn't for them, we would have a, a medicated, like a, de a right. death in the hospital, which happens all the time. But it's just more medical. It's not private. It's not, there wasn't any beauty or peace no. there wouldn't have been like his death was so incredibly peaceful and so private and like we they didn't bother us they just left us for hours with him like they didn't come and check on us they just let us be and like finally we went and we told them like that it was time or whatever and they were they they were just so wonderful like i don't know how those nurses and doctors do that like to work with children that are dying you have to be a special gift support sort of person to do that type of work because man I would be like so depressed to hear that all the time like uh or see that many grieving parents come through your hospice right like that is a that's a you have to be a strong person to do that like yeah it's so funny because I I think about a lot so every time we have a death in our church my our pastor puts out an email to like announce it to the church and he always says it's my somber privilege to 
tell you this news. And I, that word always really sticks to me, right? Because I know that when Andy died, I was devastated and I needed him so desperately. And I would thank him and he would always say, it is my privilege to walk beside you. And I've talked to Gwen about this as well, because Gwen's entire career has been working with grieving families, right? That's all she does is work with grieving families. And she says, I just consider it a privilege. So I think that's, it takes a special person, like you say, but it takes a person that thinks about walking with a family through those last moments, a privilege and not something to dread. So that's beautiful. That is really, that's like very comforting for us families as well, that they consider that a privilege. Like, I really like that a lot. I wish someone (laughs) had said that to me along the way, but that's, yeah, that's a really nice way to look at it for sure. Well, and I'm sure that is how they consider it. I'm sure they think of it as a privilege, right? Yeah. Yes. I mean, the beginning moments and the ending moments. Not every person can do that, though. That is definitely a you have to have a heart for that, for those people and for children and or for adults or whatever the hospice setting is or and pastors as well. I remember we had our pastor come to um, the NICU to meet him and pray over him before he died. And I remember our pastor was just in shock and he was just like in tears when he walked in. He didn't realize the gravity of the situation right like how sick our son was and he's never seen that before in all his years of preaching he said and it really affected him as well like it really I think it really did it it just for us that was that was real life that was where that was our reality right so but I really appreciated him coming out there because it made us closer with him and I think it also helped him you know for situations in the future and all that stuff so so talk about your grief journey then, how that was, because you touched on it a little bit, how it was so difficult because so many people, he just wasn't real to so many people. Yeah, that was another journey in itself. Um, of course, during COVID, everyone was kind of like, it was very isolating. Let's just say that. In the beginning, I, I was in shock. I kind of was like, oh, this is okay. Like, you know, like I'm sad. I, I miss him, blah, blah, blah. But as the months got on, I, I became like very physically ill. Like I remember being very like scared and like so I felt something was wrong with me. That's when I found your podcast because I kept looking, reaching like out, like, is this normal? And then I found your podcast and I would listen to Lost Stories. And I'm like, okay, like, yeah. I'm not alone, right? So yeah, I, I ended up in the hospital a few times having panic attacks after about six months after they put me on, they medicated me with antidepressants and things like that, because it really, really manifested into physical symptoms for me. I, yeah, yeah I really struggled physically uh, for a long time. Um, it took me a, almost a full year. And you don't expect that. You don't expect that. No. I, I I thought, oh, I, w- I would cry, yes. I'd be sad, all, all those things. But wow, like my heart was the, I actually developed POT uh-huh. syndrome now. After that, it's like my heart, everything, my body just like, just was so attacked by grief. Like, and it took me a long, yeah, it took me probably until he was born to feel physically lighter again. Like, yeah, yeah. it it's been a long journey for sure. Like, my poor husband had to listen to me like, this is wrong with me. This is wrong with me. <laughs> All these things over the past year, like it really physically affected me. And I remember like going to my doctor and I'm like, all these things are like, oh, you just have anxiety and stuff like that. I'm like, no, something's wrong with me. Like something's wrong. And they're like, no, it's part of grief. Like that's normal that 
you're feeling these physical symptoms, right? So I, I had no idea that I had no idea. It just doesn't seem right, though. It doesn't seem right. No, it doesn't. And, and because I was so isolated through COVID, it made things extra worse, of course. And I'm on Google all the time and that doesn't help and <laughs> things like that. But yeah, that, 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 I look back at that first year and I'm just like, oh, wow, how did I make it through? I know a lot of people say the second year is worse. But for me, the first year was physically very exhausting, very much. So yeah, it was just, it was really hard, really, really hard. And then you've got this new little one that that is in your lap right now. So when did you find out you're pregnant again? So that's actually an awesome story. We found out at his one year passing, Ethan's yeah. one year passing, that we were pregnant with our with our son, our next one. Well, we didn't know it was a boy at that time, but um, so that was a right around on that around the day or yeah. not around the day. It was about a week later. We weren't okay. really trying or anything. I had had a C-section, so they advised me to wait a full year to have a to try to get pregnant again. So that would have been in August. So I took a pregnancy test, and it was positive. And we were like, "Oh, of course!" After what we went through, it's different. Like, it is. Uh, my heart sank, and I, I I got really nervous. I was crying. I told my husband, "Like, I'm pregnant." Like we were like, woohoo! Like those other times where you're ignorant yeah. and you don't realize you know, the depth of yeah, that's what I really wanted to go into and touch on. Because you know, the last time you got pregnant, you did a gender reveal, you went out, you were excited, yeah. our family's whole, it totally changes after a loss. Oh, like yeah. That. Um, we, I told my mom right away, because of course, it's my mom, and she knows everything. But we kept it a secret from my family, which is very hard for me, because I'm a huge like, I'm an open book, I tell everyone everything. But we actually kept it a secret from my husband's side of the family. And I have three sisters who I'm very close with all the way till I was almost 20 weeks pregnant. So it was really, really? tough. Yeah. Cause I just couldn't accept the pregnancy. I just, I, I couldn't like accept that it was a, it was a healthy, like we went to the same um, doctor who saw us through Ethan's pregnancy for this one. Cause she was so excited that we were pregnant again. She wanted to follow through and make sure he was healthy. And it wasn't until she said like, he's healthy, like, it's okay that we finally told people because I just, yeah, I couldn't accept it. Until the day he was here and he was crying, I was like, in sh I was like, I wouldn't let my heart open up to the pregnancy. I, I, I like shut down. I just was like a, a robot. Like I just went through the works. I just did my thing. I just was like, I'm not going to believe it until he's here, right? So, and even now that he's here, I'm still paranoid all the time that something's going to happen to him, right? So, even though he's perfectly healthy. Yeah, it, it, it's so funny, though. You feel like you're somehow protecting yourself. Yeah. Right? Well, I think that like, okay, if I don't, if I don't really get attached and something happens, then it won't yes. be quite so bad. Exactly. Well, which is which is silliness and not right. But you can't talk yourself out of that, right? That's exactly. what you feel like. And, that, and that's exactly yeah. what it was. I was I think I, my brain was just protecting my heart was protecting itself. Like, after everything we went through, it was like, nope, you're not gonna, you're not gonna love this child until, and not that I didn't love him, but it just, right, I couldn't, I couldn't, I remember I couldn't change the bedroom from when it was Ethan's nursery. I couldn't buy him clothing. I couldn't do any of that stuff. And I, I remember we found out the gender from the doc. We didn't. The doctor just wrote on a piece of paper, and me and my husband, we went and we sat in a parking lot. And we just opened it and we thought for sure it was going to be a girl because everything was healthy and normal. So we thought, oh, okay, it's just another girl. And then it was like, yeah, we, so it'll be another healthy girl. Yeah, we have healthy girls. We don't have healthy boys, right? 
And then I was like, it's a boy. And we just both started crying. Like we were like, oh, we couldn't believe it. We could not believe that we were going to have a healthy boy. And what we felt like, I felt it was very confusing. I felt guilty and sad. Why wasn't Ethan healthy, but guilty that I was excited and all there's so much different feelings and things going on that you wouldn't have if we wouldn't have what we went through. Right. So no, um, I, th- I think the world just doesn't feel as safe or something. Yeah. Just don't- oh, yeah. And forever. It, it, it just, now that you know all of this stuff can happen, it just, I don't know. That's what it feels like to me. I know. And I see people all around me, they get pregnant and have no problems. And they're like, oh, they're, you know, so happy. And they're announcing all these things. And I'm so envious of their, of their ignorance almost. Like that they're, they don't yeah. feel pain. Like, I'm just like, oh, like, if only, if only, like, I used to be one of those, like I used to with my two healthy girls, I don't know. And, but the thing is, you're never guaranteed, right? Like, look at all of us lost moms, like you're, it, that, that it's just, I have an aunt who lost a son very similar to you in a tragic car accident. And he was 14, or I can't remember how old he was. But so she reached out to me quite a bit through this journey. And she was she was there for me a lot helping me. It's just like that. But that scares me also because it's like it's never guaranteed. Even when they get past the newborn stage, yeah. like it's forever a fear now that's embedded in me that maybe other parents don't really realize that. Yeah, I don't know, which is actually they're so lucky that they don't have to think that way and be scared all the time that something else is going to happen. Yeah. And your kids are going to be taken away from you or things like that. And it's funny, too, because a lot of people just don't know it at all. I I mean, I've told this story on the podcast before that my when my daughter's therapist, I actually asked her, have you ever worked with a grieving mom, with a mom who's lost her child? And she said no. And I was like, okay, then you can't judge me, yeah. right? You can't judge the way I feel and the fears I have and all of that. You can't. Yeah. Because you don't know. Exactly. And, and you think, oh, a therapist will know. No. And I've, I feel like I can say that because I was a doctor who didn't really know. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Because I was. I didn't really know. And and now I do. And I hate the fact that I do. Yes. Yes, I know. But it does change how you, your whole outlook and it changes everything. Oh, and, um, yeah. And again, like you said, you don't want people to have that fear. Yeah. Right. You want them to enjoy their life. But it's just I feel like I'm looking at life through a whole different lens. Like you said, like, it's just your whole life has changed forever. Like you view things so differently and in a way it's a good thing because I feel like I how I was before Ethan I was kind of like whatever you know with my kids grow up already right and whereas now I I just treasure them so much like we are so much more intentional with our daughters now like with him too I just oh he is like so precious to us like it's it's so different how we view our children now like so in a way it is uh, it is there is good that comes from such a devastating thing, even though it's so hard. And of course, you don't want that for yourself and for your life. But yeah, but you're right, it changes you from one good thing that has come from that from losing a child is that our other children, like we are just in on them, right? We give them like so much more attention and so much more love. And because you just don't know, right? So yeah, yeah, that's just what I was gonna say, because you just don't know. Yeah. You just yeah. don't know what tomorrow holds. Exactly. Exactly. And as a Christian, like we have to put our trust in the Lord. And I re- I try and I like I through the whole experience, it brought us so much closer to God. And it, it's just but it is hard as a mom, like to let that control go. That was so hard for me yeah. through that whole experience. Like 
I, I'm like, no, I'm going to control it. And I, I'm going to make sure that he does this and the doctors do that. And like to let that all go just to him and to listen to what he had to say was just a whole other thing, a whole other level of connecting with him. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that because you were talking about early on when you got some of these diagnoses, you just put together a prayer group, you did all of that. Yeah. And it's funny how you do that because really what it was... It, I mean, what you thought you were doing was praying and putting it in God's hands, but that's not what you were doing. Exactly. What you were doing was you were like, okay, I need him to be okay. Yeah. So I'm going to pray really hard and you're going to answer. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You're going to do exactly what I want because I've got a little prayer circle of moms that are going to pray him better. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's so natural. I think that we do that. But anyway, it's just, I was like, that's, I think that's what we do. Yeah. I think we don't want to let go of the control. Exactly. And that, that was what I was tr- like, that learning to let go of that control was the hardest part for me. Cause as a mom, you just, like I said, you want to keep them alive at all costs possible. I didn't care. Like he was going to come home in a wheelchair. We we're going to adapt our whole house. We were going to do everything, but that's not what his purpose was. And I had to come to yeah. terms with that. No, sweetie, that he wasn't meant to be on this earth. Like, hindsight is everything if we would have listened to the doctors they they wanted me to just deliver him and not have any any interventions at all just let him pass naturally and yes that probably would have been easier but i wouldn't take i needed to come to terms with letting him go on my own time like i needed to come i needed to go to god and i needed him to tell me when it was time like i needed to do that and like I'm so even though it was the hardest thing I ever went through I'm still eternally grateful that I got to meet Ethan and spend time with him I'm forever like I remember I met with one of my pastors at our church after and he said would you change anything and I said no I wouldn't change anything even though it was the worst experience of our life I wouldn't change anything because he was our son like I still would want to meet him I still would go through all that pain just to hold him and love him and all those things so it's, it's not easy to say, like, it would be easier to just be like, oh, whatever, let him p- pass right away at birth and never get attached. To, like, the more you have a child in your life, the longer, the more you bond with them, right? So mm-hmm. not not saying that having a stillborn is that you're not going to bond with your child, but definitely the longer they're in your life, the more connected you get with them, right? So yeah. would it have been easier to listen to the doctors and just let them? Yeah, I would have, but I, I wouldn't have changed anything for the world looking back. Well, and and I don't know, you had to come with to terms with it yourself. Just like you said, you had to be ready yourself. And I know you talked about when you you were in the hospice unit and you were started feeling bad a little bit because, oh, now he's not in pain and I made him be in pain longer. And I was thinking to myself as you were saying that, but you had to both be in the place. Yeah, you had to both be there. It's true. You know, and 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 I think that was the thing. That was the perfect moment. I shouldn't just say you both. You all. I mean, your husband, you, and Ethan. You all had to be in the place where it was time to let him go. Yeah. Because it's hard. I I've talked to lots of moms now, and I've talked to moms where, you know, your child dies, and all you're thinking is, oh, just one more minute, just one more minute, just one more minute. Yeah, because you were, just weren't ready, and and I think with Andy, you know, in his car accident and how, you know, he he had a head neck injury and and he died instantly. But so much I would think, at at the time, like 
I just wish he would have survived. I don't care that he would have been paralyzed. I don't care that he would have been never been that kid because for me, yeah, I just needed him. Yeah. Right. Even though for him, he's much better off not having that. Right. And having that suffering. And, and I truly believe he's in heaven and not suffering now. And yeah. so, but you know, I wasn't in a place where I felt like that was okay. Yeah. Right. So it's nice when you can feel like everybody's in that place. Not that you don't have moments where I felt feel like you wanted him for, you know, two more hours. I'm sure you had that. But but still to be a little more at peace with. Yes. Timing. Yes, absolutely. And I do feel not to take away from Ethan's life, but I do feel that it does make not that our grief is less, but it is a, a different journey in the sense that he was so medically fragile and he was so sick. Like, yeah, it is a little bit easier for me to accept rather than a tragic accident. Like, well, his life, like I had the shock of like when we found everything was wrong and all that, but his life would have been hospitals and pain anyway. So a part of it, it's very confusing as a medical fragile mom, parent, whatever, because you feel almost relief in a sense too, which is very yeah. confusing, very, very confusing part of grief. Like I remember going home and be like, oh, phew, like, like weird feelings like that. Then I feel instantly guilty that I felt that way because like, I shouldn't feel relief at all. Right. Like I shouldn't feel sad all the time, but I was relieved that like, but that's not the, that's not the case. That just isn't the case. Yeah, no. And like, they, like, there's so much aspects to having a, a child that with that much disabilities, like we had to, th- not just think about Ethan's life, but we had to take into our daughter's life into thought and our lives. And like, if he were to make it home, which they didn't think he would, we would have to, I would have to be with him 24 seven because he would need a breathing tube. And we'd have to have nurses living here and we'd have, well, we have to move because we have a basement suite, but it has stairs going down. We need a, a wheelchair accessible house. And like, there's so many things that we'd have to change in our life that wouldn't just affect us, but our girls greatly as well. Right. So it's it's just like there's so many things you have to take into consideration when going through that route and i'm just glad that god made it so clear for us in the end of what the right decision was and that we felt so much peace in that decision of letting him go right because i know some moms will fight with everything they got to keep them as long and there's nothing wrong with that they all have to come to terms with it yeah but for our family we just we really relied in the end on what god was trying to tell us and that was to let him go so yeah, I, it's just a beautiful thing when it can be, you know, when it when it can feel that way, when it yeah. can feel right. Yeah. I always think about my my good friend, Michelle, who lost both of her sisters to cancer. She was on an early episode of the podcast, and, and she said that a big difference when she was watching me grieve and going through my grief was she said at the end with both of her sisters, she was praying for God to take them. Okay, yeah. You know, at the end, because the suffering was so bad and things were so bad that she just wanted them to be at peace. And it's just, and I was recently at a bereaved mom's night out, which we had here in Grand Rapids and we're listening all to a song. And so much of the song was on, you're not suffering anymore. You're at peace. You're all of those things. And I kept thinking about how that was hard for me to relate to that song. It was hard for me to relate to you're not in pain anymore when we were on our way to a baseball game, I yeah. mean, he was excited. Yeah, he wasn't in pain. He was on his way to a baseball game, 
five days away from starting his first day of high school. This is not a kid that was suffering and in pain. He yeah. just got named a starter for the soccer team. Like he was at a high. So, so that can be hard sometimes to relate to that yeah. because, and that's what people tend to give you some of that as well. At least they're not in pain anymore. And at least like, I just, that's difficult. Yeah. That's difficult when you're in different circumstances. hundred percent. You know? Yeah. And that like, of course, now that we've lost children, you do kind of compare and things like that. And I always say like, when you lose like Andy, so tragically, like that, there's nothing worse than a parent or a person can say was it's all part of God's plan. And um, at least, yeah, at least they're not in pain anymore. Like as a mom, that doesn't help you. That doesn't make you feel better. No. Like, you're like, well, thanks. Like, you know, like. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That, that is just not helpful. It is not helpful to think that we were going to a baseball game and my son died. Yeah. That's like, just not, doesn't feel a part of any good plan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I know. And I'm like, just things like that. I, I know people mean well, they're trying to relate because they can't yes, relate sure. and they can't understand and like they try their best, but it's just like, wow. Like <laughs> you just don't say that, <laughs> please. <laughs> that one bothers me the most was it's all, you know, there's a big plan. God has a big plan. Yes. Maybe he does have a big plan for it, but maybe so. Why? Like, I just, I don't even, like, that just doesn't help me right now though. No. There's like nothing in that phrase that helps me. And it just, then it makes you feel like, Oh, okay. And I guess now I'm a bad Christian too. Cause I don't really care. Yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Or yeah, you're feeling like, well, why did you have to do it to me? Like, you know, things like that. Why not your family or, you know, yeah. You have your thoughts like that. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Not that you want it to happen to their family, but in, in some ways you're kind of like, and you'd just be okay if it happened to you. Yeah. Like, you know, the person saying that comment. Yeah, like, I know. I know people just don't know. Really? Because I don't think so. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think you would be okay. <laughs> and that's really tough too when people say things or strangers or like, how many kids do you have or things like that. I, I'm always just like, in the beginning, I remember I was like, oh, we have three, but one's dead. Like I would say like morbid things and they're like, oh, like, but now over time, I've kind of just like, you know, we have two daughters and a son, like we say, and then people are always like, oh, you finally got your son. They like about him. And I'm like, oh, it's just a knife to the heart. Like when they say things like it that is. and they don't know, they don't know. Right. So I, I'm just like, yeah, yeah. But on the inside, I'm crumbling. So I'm like, well, we have, a, we have two sons. Like we don't just have one son. Like, and when people, even like friends and stuff are like, oh, this is your third child. I'm like, no, this is not my third child. This is not, this is my fourth child. Like, Ethan's life mattered. I know you didn't need him. I know all those things, but his life, it was a life, right? Like he was my son. I carried him for nine months and I had a C-section. Like I gave birth to him, right? So it's it's really, that's really hard too. And it, it, another thing that just like irritates me with the whole grief journey and like, I don't know, it's confused, all these confusing feelings. Like, yeah, I have a hard time with that, that kid's question too. Cause a lot of times, because I used to always say, I have four children, three biological and one foster son. Yeah. Um, and now it just depends on what kind of mood I'm in. Yeah. Because I will oftentimes say three, knowing in my mind it was the three children I gave birth to. Okay. And then if they ask me further, then then I usually will, if they're really wanting to know further, then I might say, you know, I've... 
actually, and then going to my foster son, and then I lost one or something. But it's it's really easy for me to just say three and letting letting people think that I mean Valeriano, my foster son, as my third, when in fact I sort of just mean Andy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because it's just whether people deserve that. I I guess. Th- exactly. Exactly. And when Mindspace, I remember I had, a, I had a counselor follow me through the first year from the hospice. And she told me to say, when people ask, I have, well, at that time, we only had the two girls say, I have two on earth. That's what she said to say to people. Because then she said that leaves the door open. If people want to ask more, and if they don't, then they just will go on with their way. And I'm like, I really like that. And I have used it a few times, but sometimes I'm just like, I don't have any energy to discuss further. And I'm like, we have three kids, like, and let's just go with that. Right. So. Well, because there are people that you just don't want to go into it. Yes, exactly. I I told this not too long ago on the podcast about the woman that I golf with that kept insisting on asking me about my kids. And I thought, I told you last year I had one that was dead and you clearly didn't bother to remember. So why do I want to answer this question to you again? Yeah. And then when I did answer it, she's like, oh, yeah, that's right. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. Horrible. But, I mean, like, what? I, yeah. And and I just know she'll probably ask me again next year. And I'm just, I don't even know how I'm going to handle it. Like, just start crying. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Or I need to get there and say, remember, I'm the one whose son died. Don't ask me about it. Please. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, and you haven't even talked about your new baby's name. So I think we need to we need to give him his name here. So his name is Miles August. Miles is just from a baby book. We actually had a different name picked out, but we found out my husband's cousin named their son that same name. So we're like, oh, so we couldn't name him that. Um, So we're like, oh, so we went back to the drawing board and picked up Miles. And then August is after Ethan's birth month. So Ethan was born in August. Yeah. So we decided just, we didn't want to name him after Ethan because we're not replacing Ethan. Like we, we weren't, Yes, having another child after you lose a child is a blessing, and it is like, but it's not a replacement. Yeah. So, um, we just wanted like a little way to honor Ethan and his name. So we figured, oh, that's a really nice name, just to throw it. That in is there. a really beautiful way to honor him. I yeah. love that you did that. Yeah, it's it's such a way that you're not taking anything away from Ethan. Yeah, but you're honoring him. Exactly. Yeah, and for him too. Like, I don't want him to grow up being like I'm named after my dead brother, right? So. August is such a nice name anyways that it's just it's easy for him to be like oh my brother was born in August and I don't know we just we really both we liked it we went back and forth all the way up until he was about a day old what we were going to use his middle name as we were not going to name him after Ethan and then we were back and forth but in the end I'm really happy with our decision that we decided to honor Ethan a little bit just just a little bit right so Right. Again, giving both of their, you know, their independence. Yeah. But still honoring. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, he's, he's a very healthy little boy. It is hard, like looking at him and especially for the first six weeks that, cause I would compare, yeah. oh, wow, Ethan yeah. never did this or Ethan never did that. And Miles is like, I had two healthy girls before, but you forget. I remember I just, I broke down and cried a lot in those first six weeks. Like it was really hard and then I remember like this that six week and then he was just older like he just kept growing and it was like oh it's hard for me to accept that like 
he was normal like he's meeting milestones and like he's i remember when he came out i had a c-section with him as well and he was crying when he came out of the womb and me and my husband just started bawling our eyes out because we heard him cry like wow babies cry when they come out ethan never made a sound from the moment he was born to the moment he died he never he never made he did he made some grunting noises but he never cried we never heard any of those things so hearing him cry was like music to our ears so <laughs> for sure for sure yeah maybe. well thank you so much for sharing ethan with us today yeah. I'm, I'm so glad we finally did this and I, i'm glad we did it on the right and the right timeline too because i am thinking back to when you first started emailing me you're in a far different place now i th- i feel like yes. you know because because your anxiety i could tell was just so high I kept thinking about you throughout all those months as they went by wondering how you were and how your baby was and hoping it was okay and I was almost nervous even emailing you back in July like that baby should have been born something like four six weeks ago are we good is everything fine so I love that I love that yeah yeah, there's a little bit of happiness at the end of the rainbow for any other moms listening that have a similar story. Like, like there is, there can be joy at the end of, or during grief and things like that. Like I want yeah. to help moms that are also in a similar situation with medically fragile children or babies, things like that. So. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Well, thank you again so yeah. much. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful and would like to support the podcast, please leave a five-star rating and comment. To help financially, you can text Andy's Mom to the number 53555 or visit the donate page on andysmom.com. Your donations are secure and tax-deductible, and we are now able to accept Venmo, PayPal, and Apple Pay. Always Andy's Mom is a registered 501c3 organization and can receive donations through smile.amazon.com Thrive in Financial, and Benevity, amongst others. Marcy loves hearing from listeners. Please feel free to reach out to her via email at marcy at Also, be sure to sign up for the email list to receive weekly updates as well as pictures of all of Marcy's guests and their children. Together, let's work to inspire hope one day at a time.